Hello, and welcome back to another bite-sized episode of 40 Minute Mentor. As we're fast approaching this year's International Women's Day, we wanted to take this opportunity to look back at some of the industry's trailblazers that we've had the great honor of interviewing on this podcast over the last few years. This year's International Women's Day focuses on embracing equity, which is a message that is very close to our hearts here at JBM. In fact, we're really proud to have had 50-50 equal representation on our podcast from day one, and 40% of JBM's placements each year are women. Although we're proud of the progress we've made in an industry that isn't that well known for its diversity, we are more determined than ever before to improve these figures in the year ahead. But that's enough from me. Let's hear some mentorship from some of the most inspiring women in tech that we've featured on the podcast. Claire Velotti, the VP for Amir at Snap. Grace Beverly, the founder and CEO of Tala and Shreddy. Chuck Warner, partner at Ada Ventures. Alice Bentink, co-founder of Entrepreneur First. Sharmadine Reed, founder of The Stack World. Marta Kraprinska, former head of Google for Startups UK and co-founder of Curate, and Baroness Una King, a former MP and VP of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Snap Inc. I'm a real action-orientated person. I think, my, again, going back to my mum and dad, yeah. my dad's saying was always, was proof is in the pudding. If you went home and said, I nearly got 70%, he'll be like, you got 69%. And that's a little bit how I tackle most things. And I'm quite well known for that. So I'm really excited to see we're having these difficult conversations and really starting to, I think, educate ourselves more and know that we have to do better. However, most of these problems are systematic, right? They are in the system. And I'm a real believer and we have to act. And I know that's easier said than done, but it's up to me. I think I'm in a role of privilege that I can make change. So if I see things, we had an, um, a see things where I think we could, for instance, have a, a, a more diverse pipeline, I have to call it out. I'd say the biggest one, being completely honest, has been to forget about acting like a CEO or a leader or a founder or someone that people should look up to and respect and just do your job. Just like I started these businesses because I wanted to create these products and I wanted to create these concepts. And as soon as I started to try and act in a certain way and to try and, I guess, like come across as a CEO, as this founder, as someone that, you know, had done all of this. I realized that that was very much ingrained in insecurities rather than being ingrained in or kind of backed in need and reason. And instead, as soon as I was like, okay, well, these are the things that I'm good at. Product, brand, creative, marketing. I'd say those are my areas. Other areas, not my areas. So I need to find the people who can support me to do those things whilst also making sure that we're not losing the vision by me being disconnected from those things. So for me, the most important thing has been understanding what my strengths are. And actually just that that doesn't need to look a certain way. That doesn't need to dress a certain way. That doesn't need to come across a certain way. I mean, I'm a 24-year-old woman. There are like problems that are going to come with that in terms of the way people take me seriously, the way people think I actually know what I'm doing. And that's not my business. That's not my business at all. All that is my business is to do my job properly, to understand what we're doing, to bring in the right people, to support the right people, and to lead, I guess, collaboratively, to learn from, you know, I know that almost everyone within my business, and I can say this like hand on heart, almost everyone within my business will be better than me at their discipline. And that's the best way it can be. Because then if I can feed my vision into that, we can make amazing things happen. If I'm trying to keep that at a lower level so that I don't feel threatened or so that I don't I feel like I'm still the founder and the CEO, then that's 
that's ego. It's it's not it, it's not out of necessity. It's not out of something that the business needs to grow. So that for me has just been forget what these preconceived ideas of a CEO and a leader and a founder and a owner of these businesses is just do what you're good at, support people in doing what they're good at and collaborate with them to actually make things of value. It is an incredibly grueling journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were told at certain points that women couldn't make money, that this fund would be a philanthropic exercise. It wouldn't actually ever make money. And I think, you know, when very important senior experienced people tell you things like that, it can be very, very distracting, especially if you're just starting out on something or a bit younger. And I think it's important to kind of know which advice to not listen to and mm. just you know stay true to what you're trying to do and what is your North Star. And if you are trying to do something different and special, then a lot of people won't get it. You know, and a lot of people will criticize it and disagree with it. So it's almost kind of part of the journey. And you know, I had a sticker on my laptop when we were fundraising that just said North Star. That was just a reminder of what we were mm. trying to do and why we were trying to do it. And that really helped me to just stay focused on the goal and on the mission and not get have my head turned by people who just undermined it and criticized it. And I think one of the misunderstandings is around how much legwork you need to do to build a diverse team. So you need to invest. You need to invest money but largely through somebody's time so if you're recruiting for a role it's understanding that you may need to reach out to diverse candidates two or three times more than you would for other candidates to convince them to apply to the job there's some really interesting stats around uh, how people respond on linkedin and you you just need to contact and convince diverse candidates way more than you do non-diverse candidates one of the companies in our portfolio, Plan, has done a fantastic job of this, where they've almost got to gender parity on their engineering team, which is so unusual for a, for a Series A startup. And, you know, they're, they're doing construction tech, and they have invested so much time, headspace and money in building a brand, recruit a brand to not just attract diverse talent, but then once they've attracted them, make sure that they are embedded in the team. And it's a place that diverse talent actually wants to work. Alan Mosca, the CTO there, has done just a, an amazing job at this. So it, it can be done, but it has to be done thoughtfully and it has to be done with a real commitment to make it happen. The stuff that, that companies should be doing is um, uh, things as simple as like gender pay gap analysis. You know, it's not that hard to do, but actually by doing it, it can give your company, give your employees a real sense of, you know, whether there is a problem, how they're being treated, and then making sure that you have, is the simple things that we all know to do, but lots of people don't feel they have the time to do. So diverse shortlist for any roles that they're hiring, making sure that they appropriately advertise for roles, making sure that there's fair promotion opportunities for internal candidates. So it's it's about being thoughtful. It's about creating systems within your company that give you the nudge. You know, what is the nudge when you're about to make a hiring decision that encourages you and the others in your company to make sure that you are following best practice? You know, startups are about speed. Everybody wants to move fast. So how do you bake in these processes in a way that aligns with your willingness and and need to move fast. I was thinking about how women had been very adversely affected by the pandemic. McKinsey did an incredible report on it, how COVID had affected women more. You know, a third of working mothers had lost their jobs due to lack of childcare, etc. And I was thinking about how none of the media outlets are talking about this and our audience were becoming really receptive to political news as well as business news. And I started thinking about 
making a women's newspaper as a thought exercise, right? Like a thought experiment. Like what would a newspaper look like if it was exactly the same, but the headlines were written for women? I was a sort of a woman in fintech, which meant that was already hoo-ha, diversity and, and true. Like there was there was a point where I really got a lot of press because I was one of the not very many women that sat at the intersection of finance and tech, which unsurprisingly wasn't particularly gender diverse. But, but it's in very depressing. It's depressing how <laughs> it must be so depressing at the time that you were that that, that was such big news. Well, what I would say is what's more depressing is that it's been very many years and, and very little has changed. So I actually think so. There are two points that I feel quite passionate about. One is I genuinely don't think that I am diversity anymore. We really need to be careful not to make diversity and inclusion box be ticked by well-educated white women. I am a migrant from Eastern Europe, but by all accounts, I am well-educated able-bodied, articulate, and a bunch of other things that set me up for success in the way that they have. And I have, over the years, become quite quite angry and frustrated about how I see, oh, diversity and inclusion, let's, let's, let's put a well-educated white woman on the panel that went to Oxbridge and suddenly, you know, like we've, we've done our job. I definitely don't think that's, that's good enough anymore. It maybe was in 2014, but I don't think it is now. And to your point about it being depressing, I religiously read the State of European Tech report from Atomico every year that it comes out. And last year, 1.1% of all VC money in Europe went to all female teams. Less than nine went to mixed male-female and over 90% went to all male teams. Less than 1% of VC money went to uh, founders of color, a teeny, teeny, tiny fraction to black founders. So the thing that I find frustrating is that it feels like it's getting better because I think the media is slightly changing the narrative. We're becoming more politically correct. We're thinking more about who we put on panels and on front covers of magazines. But the fact that we're changing the narrative doesn't necessarily mean that the people who actually day-to-day benefit from the, the, the access to capital in this space that defines who succeeds and who doesn't, that doesn't seem to be changing. So I almost want to be careful not to get to a place where I where where the work that I do and talking about it might just create a perception that things are improving, but actually cover up the fact that they're not really. So I think it has to be said out loud. Things are not getting better at any rate. First of all, how do we get a more diverse workforce? Second of all, how do we get a more inclusive culture? And third of all, how do we make our product, whatever it is we're creating, more inclusive so that we're not excluding communities. When people think about DEI, they quite often, first of all, they just think about, I'm not saying it's bad to start with underrepresented ethnic minorities and women. And, you know, obviously as a black woman, I'm not saying it's a terrible thing. I'm just saying it is absolutely not enough. It is absolutely not inclusive. Because, you know, it's it's always funny to me when people want to do DEI stuff. They want, they want to do inclusion, but they're not inclusive about it. They're like, oh, no, we can only talk about, <laughs> we can only talk about race and gender. We can't do. We haven't got enough bandwidth to think about LGBTQ plus or people with disabilities or socioeconomic status. And unfortunately, we do have to have a more, well, fortunately, from my point of view, we have to have a more inclusive mindset. I think five years ago, this wasn't even a conversation that was being had at any level. Yeah. And now it's 
fantastic to know that this is a conversation that's being had on a regular basis at the very senior levels and at the institutional investor levels of the, the investors that invest into VC funds. And I think that a combination of factors, you know, the light that a lot of organizations, not just us, have shone on the issue, you know, Atomico, Extend Ventures in their recent reports, you know, has all helped to you know, catalyze that, uh, but also things like the killing of George Floyd and, and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I think that's a big development. Mm. I think the second thing is that we were very unsophisticated when we first, you know, started having this conversation about what what we meant by diversity and inclusion and what the overlapping factors might be. And I think that's evolved as well. And I think now we're much more aware of the fact that, you know, socioeconomic mobility um, plays a huge role in the success rate of companies or in the ability to even start a company. So if you come from a more deprived background, you cannot get access to so-called friends and family money of 50 to 150,000 pounds. And so you never even get out of the starting blocks. Mm. Uh, and I think there are other groups that really have been ignored in the conversation uh, and those groups are now you know, getting a bit more attention. But I certainly feel that a lot more needs to be done looking at people who have disabilities, people who are neurodiverse, you know, black women, for example. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about women, but actually the intersectionality of women yeah. doesn't really get a look in. So I'm quite optimistic to see how these conversations are playing out. But I think where we still need a huge amount more work to be done is actually in making investments in these founders and doing it at much, much, much bigger scale. And that's what we're trying to do a bit of with Ada Ventures, but we just need many, many more funds like Ada and funds like ImpactX and funds like Cornerstone, you know, trying to address this problem. Do you know what? I mean, not just women, I think be proud of who you are. Like whatever your background, whatever gender, race, I think if you've become more successful, it's usually the success is led by like where you've come from, your journey, right? And actually me being a mum now with three kids, my eldest daughter's premature, has got some additional, that's shaping who I am, right? It's making me better. And I think you've got to own it, like be proud Definitely. of it. Don't apologise for it or be defensive of it. And I've been really open. Like when I interviewed at Facebook, obviously when I interviewed at Snap, like at Facebook, I said I wanted another child. At Snap, I was pregnant. The first thing I told them was that I was pregnant. I'm a really open person. Like it's, and I don't, shy away from being a mum like I tell my team I won't be in tomorrow I'm at sports day I'm not I'm not excusing myself I'm telling you that's what I'm doing yeah and I think you need to decide you want to work for companies that do that like I think when I interview a company I interview them as much as they interview me and I think the world we're in today whatever you're like again my example obviously being a mum gender I think it's my superpower so if a company doesn't want my superpower then I don't want to be in that company yeah representation is a sum it's like a mathematical sum and that sum is who are you hiring so it's your hires plus your promos you know your promotion rate who which is the proxy for who are you mm. developing who are you investing mm. in as a company and developing for your leadership minus your attrition who are you losing so it's hires plus promos minus attrition and too often people just focus on the hires and they don't change anything because you can bring people like women into parliament. But there were a lot of women, including women MPs, including my best friend there in the first parliament, who literally after four years, she had two young kids and she was like, 
sod this for a game of toy soldiers. Literally, I am out. It is not inclusive. It's a boys' club. I, I do not have the same opportunity as the male MPs here. I am therefore not going to sacrifice my family at this altar of Westminster politics. So I liken that, you know, when you just focus on the hiring scenario to filling up the bath with the plug out. You spend all this time and literally you are not going to have any overall impact because you're not spending time on how do you create an inclusive culture that will keep the more representative hiring, hopefully, (laughs) that you're doing that will keep those people there. There is not a single gender equality stat that is equal that I've seen of note. There's not one in fundraising. There's not one in board seats. There's not one in world leaders, in governments. You know, our government is still like 30% women. Our boards are 30%. People want to celebrate these small wins. I'm like, yeah, 30%, but there's still 20% missing. You know what I mean? And actually, you probably need 60% to overcome like millennia of patriarchal thinking. Do you know what I mean? So you probably need to over-index on women. So I, I would just like to see a future where these, everything at, public level represents the citizenship you know what i mean of the who they're serving. yeah yeah, yeah. just Absolutely. it's really simple it's quite simple we are half the population can we just have half representation that's all i want I spent like 20 years basically in the equality space, the DI space, really focused on how do you change institutional change? How do you change the system? What the murder of George Floyd taught me is that if you don't spend time changing how the people within the system think, you'll never fundamentally change the system. We have to shift the burden of DEI being something that underrepresented groups do. You know, the burden has been on the women, on the black and brown people, on the people with disabilities, on the people in the LGBTQ plus community, et cetera. And we need to change that. And it has majority groups because, hey, that's the deal. They are the majority. You know, you're never going to change how people are thinking in that system if you're not changing the way majority groups think about this so you can't really go at it if you go at it at like all guns blazing it's a war which often white people if you want to have this conversation they immediately freeze like you're going to attack me it's like well no we want to unpack the system and how you are thinking within the system and how Mm. you spot inequity and how you use your majority status to change it and i think we're in danger. I really don't want to create where, you know, everyone's talking about what needs to happen, but not follow through. And I asked the question to, we have, uh, we hired an amazing lady, Una King, who's our VP of DNI at SitSnap. And I asked her the question, how are we going to hold ourselves to account? And she's got some great ideas and initiatives that I feel really confident will, will, be, you know, will, do, will do well. But it's a journey. I think that's the first yeah. thing to say. But yeah. from my point of view, I feel like I've got a personal responsibility in my role to act. And I haven't figured out, I haven't got all the answers, but everyone knows I'll call stuff out when I see things that are almost like in the system that need to change. And that's what my big commitment is right now. I really hope this episode has given you some inspiration and drive for the week ahead. As always, if you're enjoying this series of 40 Minute Mentor, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on any of the major podcast platforms. Seeing your reviews doesn't just brighten up our days, but it's also the fastest way for us to spread the power of mentorship even further.
Thank you so much for all your support so far this series. And if there's anything myself or the JBM team can do to help, then please feel free to get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. See you again on Wednesday for another dose of pocket-sized career mentorship. <laughs>